This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Our Martin Luther King Day Jr. special bonus segment. This is the last bit of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speech brief for the British group Christian Direction in London just days before receiving his Nobel Peace Prize. So he's en route to Oslo, Norway when he stops to give this speech. And uh, if you're following along with the transcript, which we, by the way, have at ronshowatl.com in today's show notes, then you're able to follow along with this part where he speaks specifically to the plight of apartheid and South Africans. And in this context, I would like to say something about South Africa. And I'd like to read just a statement that I've written here so that I'll be sure that I'll say everything that I have in mind about the South African situation without missing anything. I understand they are here tonight, uh, South Africans, some of whom have been involved in the long struggle for freedom there. And our struggle for freedom and justice in the United States, which has also been so long and difficult, we feel a powerful sense of identification with those in the far more deadly struggle for freedom in South Africa. We know how Africans there and their friends of other races strove for half a century to win their freedom by nonviolent methods. We have honored Chief Latuli for his leadership, and we know how this nonviolence was only met by increasing violence from the state, increasing repression, culminating in the shootings at Sharpsville and all that has happened since. Clearly, there's much in Mississippi and Alabama to remind the South Africans of their own country. Yet even in Mississippi, we can organize to register Negro voters. We can speak to the press. We can, in short, organize the people in nonviolent action. But in South Africa, even the mildest form of nonviolent resistance meets with years of imprisonment. And leaders over many years have been restricted and silenced and imprisoned. We can understand how, in that situation, people felt so desperate that they turned to other methods such as sabotage. Today, great leaders like Nelson Mandela and Robert Sabuwe are among the many hundreds wasting away in Robben Island prison against a massive, armed, and ruthless state which uses tortured and sadistic forms of interrogation to crush human beings, even driving some to suicide. The militant opposition inside South Africa seems for the moment to be silenced. The mass of the people seems to be contained, seems for the moment unable to break from the oppression. I emphasize the word the seems because we can imagine what emotions and plans must be seething below the calm surface of that prosperous police state. We know what emotions are seething in the rest of Africa and indeed all over the world. The dangers of a race war, these dangers we have had repeated in profound warning. It is in this situation with the great mass of South Africans denied their humanity, their dignity, 
and denied opportunity, denied all human rights. It is in this situation, with many of the bravest and best South Africans serving long years of prison, in prison, with some already executed. In this situation, we in America and Britain have a unique responsibility, for it is we, through our investments, through our government's failure to act decisively, who are guilty of bolstering up the South African tyranny. Our responsibility... <laughs> our responsibility presents us with a unique opportunity. We can join in the one form of non-violent action that could bring freedom and justice to South Africa, the action which African leaders have appealed for in a massive movement for economic sanctions in a world living under the appalling shattered of nuclear weapons. Do we not recognize the need to perfect the use of economic pressures? Why is trade regarded by all nations and all ideologies as sacred? Why does our government and your government in Britain refuse to intervene effectively now, as if only when there is a bloodbath in South Africa or the Korea or the Vietnam will they recognize a crisis? If the United Kingdom and the United States decided tomorrow morning not to buy South African goods, not to buy South African gold, to put an embargo on oil if our investors and capitalists would withdraw their support for the racial tyranny that we find there, then apartheid would be brought to an end. then the majority of South Africans of all races could at last build the shared society they desire. And so this is a challenge facing the nations of the world. And God grant that we will meet this challenge and be a part of that great creative movement that will seek to bring about change and transform those dark yesterdays of man's inhumanity to man into bright tomorrows of justice and peace and goodwill. And may I say to you that the problem of racial injustice is not limited to any one nation. We know now that this is a problem spreading all over the globe. And right here in London and right here in England, you know so well that thousands and thousands of colored people are migrating here from many, many lands, from the West Indies, from Pakistan, from India, from Africa. And they have the just right to come to this great land, and they have the just right to expect justice and democracy in this land. And England must be eternally vigilant, for if not the same kind of ghettos will develop that we have in the Harlems of the United States, the same problems of injustice, the same problems of inequality in jobs will develop. And so I say to you that the challenge before every citizen of goodwill of this nation is to go all out to make democracy a reality for everybody 
so that everybody in this land will be able to live together, and that all men will be able to live together as brothers. You know, there are certain words in every academic discipline that soon become stereotypes and cliches. Every academic discipline has its technical vocabulary. Modern psychology has a word that is probably used more than any other word in modern psychology. It is the word maladjusted. You've heard that word. This is the ring and cry of modern child psychology. And certainly we all want to live well-adjusted lives in order to avoid neurotic and schizophrenic personalities. But I must say to you this evening, my friends, as I come to a close, that there are some things in my own nation and there are some things in the world which I'm proud to be maladjusted, to which I call upon all men of goodwill to be maladjusted until the good society is realized. I must honestly say to you that I never intend to become adjusted to segregation, discrimination, colonialism, and these particular forces. I must honestly say to you that I never intend to adjust myself to religious bigotry. I must honestly say to you that I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities from the many to give luxuries to the few. I must say to you tonight that I never intend to become adjusted to the madness of militarism and the self-defeating effects of physical violence. But in a day when Sputniks and explorers are dashing throughout a space, and guided ballistic missiles are carving highways of death through the stratosphere. No nation can win a war. It is no longer the choice between violence and nonviolence. It is either nonviolence or non-existence. The alternative to disarmament. The alternative to a greater suspension of nuclear tests. The alternative to strengthening the United Nations and thereby disarming the whole world may well be a civilization plunged into the abyss of annihilation. And I assure you that I will never adjust to the madness of militarism. You see, it may well be that our whole world is in need at this time for a new organization, the International Association for the Advancement of Creative Maladjustment. Men and women, men and women who will be as maladjusted as the prophet Amos, who in the midst of the injustices of his day could cry out in words that echo across the centuries, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. As maladjusted as the late Abraham Lincoln, the great president of our nation, who had the vision to see that the United States could not survive half slave and half free as maladjusted as Thomas Jefferson, who in the midst of an age amazingly adjusted to slavery, could etch across the pages of history words lifted to cosmic proportions. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as maladjusted as Jesus of Nazareth, who could say to the men and women of his day, he who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. And through such maladjustment, we will be able to emerge from 
the long and desolate midnight of man's inhumanity to man into the bright and glittering daybreak of freedom and justice. May I say to you that I still believe that mankind will rise up to the occasion in spite of the darkness of the hour, in spite of the difficulties of the moment, in spite of these days of emotional tension when the problems of the world are gigantic in extent and chaotic in detail, I still have faith in the future and I still believe that we can build this society of brotherhood and this society of peace. We have a song that we sing in our movement and we've joined hands to sing it so often beyond behind jail bars. I can remember times that we've been in jail cells made for 12 people and yet you would find some 15 or 20 there and yet we could go on and lift our voices and sing it. I mentioned it yesterday afternoon as I was preaching at St. Paul's, we shall overcome, we shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. And somehow I believe that mankind will overcome. And I believe that the forces of evil will be defeated. I believe this because Carlisle is right, no lie can live forever. I believe that we shall overcome because William Cullard Bryant is right. Truth crushed earth will rise again. I believe that we shall overcome because James Russell Lowell is right. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. And behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. With this faith, we will be able to adjourn the councils of despair and bring new light into the dark chambers of pessimism. With this faith, we will be able to transform this pending cosmic elegy into a creative psalm of peace and brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to speed up the day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, Hindus and Muslims, theists and atheists, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. We have a long, long way to go before this problem is solved, but thank God we've made strides. We've come a long, long way. Before I close by quoting the words of an old Negro slave preacher who didn't quite have his grammar and diction right, but who uttered words of great symbolic profundity, Lord, we ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we ought to be. We ain't what we're going to be. But thank God, we ain't what we was. Thank you. So that was Dr. Martin Luther King speaking in London at City Temple, December 7th, 1964, en route to Oslo, Norway, to receive the Nobel Peace Prize that year. Again, thank you for listening to The Ron Show, our special Martin Luther King Day Jr. edition of the show, uh, highlighting a speech that he gave that recently was discovered, the audio was anyway, just seven years ago.